like to welcome you to the first podcast of a new series that I'll be doing with IDCA. IDCA is the International Data Center Authority, and uh, we're working on the application ecosystem, otherwise known as the Infinity Paradigm. And as part of that work effort, we've created the technical committee, uh, which I'm the chairman of, uh, and as part of attempting to spread the word about what's going on in IT um, and trends in technology today, we're hoping to invite industry innovators and visionaries for on a monthly basis to talk about um, nuggets of wisdom and what they're seeing uh, in the industry today. And on today's podcast, I'd like to welcome Jay Adelson. Jay has a long history in the technology space and was instrumental in defining and expanding one of the biggest sectors of our industry today, co-location with Equinix. Jay, would you like to give the audience the long and short of where you've been and what you're doing now? <laughs> Certainly, happy to. Um, and welcome, by the way. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I've spent pretty much my entire career in the internet infrastructure space with with probably a few little diversions in between um, for about 25 years or so. Some of my first jobs in tech uh, in the early 90s in Silicon Valley were were working for um, uh, internet companies that were just getting started before it was really commercially viable. For example, I, I ran network operations at a company called Netcom, which was arguably the first free annoying disk you would you would pick up for free internet connectivity uh before even aol was connected to the internet oh wow so this is wow. early 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 days. days yeah um and i got to know a lot about about that world pretty early um the benefit at the time was it was sort of coming on quickly but there wasn't really anyone else there to to receive it as it came and so we got yep. to learn in real time nice uh, so i went to go work for digital equipment um and really that that is where the uh, my sort of the start of my journey, which would lead to Equinix and founding that company, began. Um, uh, the short version is is that I is that I was brought into the Network Systems Laboratory in Palo Alto to work on a project called the Palo Alto Internet Exchange. Um, there were yeah. a couple. Yeah, you know, a, I know exactly where that is in downtown. Yeah, we we were we were I guess the the predecessor or the prototype to Equinix. Um, there was a couple folks there, Paul Vixie and Stephen Stewart, who had written the white paper and done a lot of research on whether or not you could build neutral co-location facilities that would serve as the alternative to the historical hubs of internet traffic, which were controlled right. by telephone companies. Right. And uh, we, we tried it out. They brought me in to build it and operate it and make some tweaks to the model. Um, we created the concept of the CNI or the network interconnect, which now every data, uh, data center has, or PNI or whatever you call it. Right. Um, and within a, about a year, around 1996 to 1997 or so, we took this very inexpensive data center, took us only a few million dollars to build, filled it with, you know, over 20 carriers and networks, um, realized that there was a huge demand because the internet inflection point had hit and the growth was starting to go at an exponential level. And we needed to spin that model out and build something larger. And so that's really where Equinix came in and myself and my co-founder, Al Avery, 
um, we basically quit our jobs at digital and, and, you know, the rest is history from there. Um, and, and Equinix was great. I did that for, uh, you know, five, six years. Um, I then left, uh, Equinix to start a number of other companies. Um, I've actually started close to 14 tech companies, uh, depending on, on whether or not you count some of the ones that, that never got funded or never got off the ground. Right. Right. Um, but some of the ones that you might've heard of dig the social news website, of course, course, uh, yeah, you know, I was CEO of that company for quite a while for six years. I also founded uh, a company called revision three, which was really the first internet television network. It's now, uh, the discovery channels, digital arm. Oh, nice. Yeah. We were, we were doing podcasting before it was called podcasting and, and, uh, and we had some great shows. Uh, you know, if you ever have a, um, if you have kids who, who like to watch the discovery online, the yeah. discovery news, that's an example of a, of a show that we created. Oh, neat. Yeah. So all of that kind of stuff was fun. That was my first experience building and creating content or having, you know, a large consumer oriented business, but but my love has always been internet infrastructure. And so I went back to companies like Simple Geo and Opsmatic and other things that were really around the back end of scaling the internet. And, you know, I still have a, a love of that today. Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, one we share. It's, uh, it's one of the things that I, uh, you know, I was disappointed about when, um, uh, in, a, in a positive sense, uh, disappointed, if that makes any sense at all, um, when I first learned that uh, we'd be able to get you on for our first podcast is the that here I am um, working in the industry that I love so much. I've spent time, uh, you know, building my own um, environments and and uh, helping build an organization like Data Center Pulse, et cetera. And uh, the two of us have never met in person, so I was um, I was glad that we, I, it is crazy. And so I'm glad at least we've solved the problem of meeting, if not in person. Uh, and so that's outstanding. Um, so you know. Storied career, no doubt. And before we get into, um, uh, you know, more of a, a little bit of geeking out about what's going on in the industry right now, uh, give the audience something uh, about Jay. You know, what what does when Jay's not trying to figure out how to solve the next big inter- internet problem or figuring out what comes after Edge, um, or, or how AI might solve Edge or something like that? What does Jay and the family do on the weekend? Well, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I, I, uh, I, I, I can be a little bit nerdy. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I spend a great deal of time restoring pinball machines, which is probably not a very common pastime. <laughs> but I, I, I just I love uh, doing things with my kids. I actually got into that because I have a, I have a 20, a 17, and a 15 year old kid, and yeah, yeah. Um, my son and I, who's 17, we. We work on that project together and restoring pinball machines. Um, I have, I advise a ton of companies. And so the, the key to, to sort of keeping things sane is really being able to shut off. And so I spend my weekends in uh, Marin. I live about 15 minutes north of San Francisco. Um, and my family and I, you know, do, do crazy stuff like, like pinball machines. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And of course, you know, I have, I have a ton of interest still uh, in, 
I actually went to school for film and broadcasting originally. And so I have people who are in the industry or around videography or, or, um, or in filmmaking. And I still sort of have one toe in the water, so to speak in that world. And I love it. Wow. That's cool. I, uh, my, it's funny, you know, I, um, I was not one of those growing up that, um, that knew all the director's names and knew who did the scores and stuff like that. And, um, my daughter is, and uh, it's great when she talks about a movie coming up or something and she can say, Oh, you know, that's, it's, it's gotta be good because Alan Sorkin wrote the script for it, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And um, I just never paid attention to that stuff before. Um, and it's, and it is amazing. I mean, you watch something like West wing versus a regular TV show these days and the quality of the dialogue, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, that's fascinating stuff and, and cool. So I was going to ask you, what your favorite book is or what your most recent book is. But now maybe I'm going to say either what's the last movie you watched or what's your fa most favorite movie? Well, it, it, you know, I mean, I having been, you know, I studied that and got a degree in it. I got a little obsessive about, you know, art film for a while. And I, I just an absolute Stanley Kubrick fan. I love nice. his movies are just absolutely amazing. And, you know, yep. uh, although, you know, I watched 2001 with my son not too long ago and he fell asleep watching the movie, <laughs> you know, so, you know, but I, I have my all time favorites, you know, there, there's just so many, um, you know, I, I have a, a, a real love of old Westerns, John Ford movies, yep. of um, modern films that, you know, I love these new Star Wars movies that have been coming out. They've been fantastic. Nice. I like nice. everything. I even like Ready Player One. Oh wow! I haven't seen that yet. So you, all right, you know, and and that's that's a nerdy movie. Um, yep. But I like the book even more. And so oh, okay. you know, these are these are, in my opinion, great times for for content. It's also there's just so much of it that you can't possibly absorb it all. That's that's the hard part. I mean, uh, um, you know, whether it's for work or for play. The amount of uh, available information is uh, just staggering. Absolutely. And here we are creating some more. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, uh, a, a very storied career. I mean, um, the experience you've built in, in building um, startups or helping others, uh, uh, certainly founding a, a company that is now considered, you know, sort of a backbone of, of what the industry is doing relative to data centers and and using data centers effectively. I mean, because they more so than ever before, even though it grew out of the um, Palo Alto internet exchange, more so than ever before, people now are realizing that the data center is, is uh, much more than just a, a, a secure building with lots of power and cooling. Uh, and uh, to see how that has um, continued through companies like uh, Equinix uh, and, and how that's grown today and how diff data centers are differentiated is uh, pretty amazing. So I, uh, I imagine you're proud of being able to be a part of that. That's... Yeah, when I, when, when I see it from the outside, my mind is blown. I mean, I, I, I remember in the first days when we were imagining what the maximum footprint Equinix could possibly need in order to serve 100% of the world's <laughs> internet traffic. And right. we were talking about maybe 15 to 20 data centers. Oh, geez. You know, they have hundreds of them. Yeah, um, yeah. And back then, 15,000 square feet seemed like it'd be plenty. So now it's a small room. 
now it's literally the reception area right or a bathroom right. in a data the cli- center. the climbing wall at somebody's data center yeah that's funny i i should have known better because i remember in the palo alto exchange when when you know this is back in 1998 um we had a situation where we were running out of space and uunet who at the time was one of the largest internet service providers wanted to expand their their cage yep. um and so we so we took one of the bathrooms and we got rid of all the sinks and the toilets and expanded uunet into the bathroom oh jeez so, so it's funny you know now you're looking back on it it's like probably probably a uh uh a a bellwether for where things are going when you start cannibalizing your, your, your bathrooms for, for data center space. Well, yeah. I mean, as a data center geek, you know, every time I walked into a data center and, and not only did they not have containment, but they had hot blowing on cold and things like <laughs> that. Right. Uh, and those are just some of the more obvious ones, but yeah. yeah, I've, I've, I've been called back at two o'clock in the morning from a vacation camping up in Point Reyes, for example, uh, because, uh, one of the data center rooms we were using at the company I was at at the time happened to share a circuit with the wall out in the hallway and somebody was buffing the floors and popped the circuit and dropped five of our racks. And, uh, you know, it's just, those are the days, right? And it changed quick. It changed yeah, very it, quickly. It absolutely did. It absolutely did. So, you know, when you, when you think about, um, uh, data centers and, and, you know, where they're going, I, I've got an either or kind of opportunity for a question here. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on the data center as a service space, right? In the sense of um, data centers being much more than just your data center in another place, right? But more of a true service offering. Uh, and I think we sort of hinted at that at the beginning of our conversation versus, you know, what do you think about um, the private data center market? Uh, and what that might look like in five to 10 years. You know, do you think more people will, um, will continue to get out of the data center space? Do you think there'll be some equilibrium we'll reach in another five to 10 years where we'll have, you know, a 40, 40, 20 split or something like that? How do right. you feel about it? Well, you know, the, the, it, I was talking to the Equinix people not too long ago and they were, they kept throwing the term hyperscalers at me and, and uh, talking about the, the movement towards these uh, sort of different types of data center products for different types of customers, right? Um, you know, in, in 2005, if I built a data center, it really had to serve all the different constituents, whether you're a carrier or, you know, a network service provider or, or Fortune 500 or somebody like Amazon or Google. Um, and what the sense I'm getting is that we've really change this market I, you know it's not really tiering because they're all very high quality products across all the different players out there right um where you know you'll build a very specific type of uh you know of, of data center for a a player who who has uh no intent of any other sub-tenancy where right. they where they're going to have one big space designed to maximize the, you know, the CPU or MIPS per square foot and, and get great power efficiencies versus data centers that will never have a single type of one of those giant customers in, in there. There'll be lots of smaller cages. Right. Um, 
and and I guess from a philosophical standpoint, I I believe that there should be fewer consumers of data center space. It should be something. If it's not your core competency, if the product you sell, if the business you're in is not racking and stacking machines, it it strikes me that you probably shouldn't need to visit a data center. Your developers should be able to do everything from the comfort of their office instead of putting on a parka and standing underneath the, you know, the air handler in some data center in a cornfield someplace. I, I thought that was going to happen when people started moving their applications to the cloud. I yeah. thought that was going to happen much faster. And, and I totally understand that there, are, that there are challenges around latency and proximity and security that, that interfere. But I, but I do believe that there are more data center service providers who are stepping into those markets anywhere on the spectrum from you know, edge to core and it becomes less and less valuable for an enterprise to control their own uh, control their right. own real estate. Right. No, I mean, and I would uh, largely agree with that. And and uh, I don't know if it's a caveat as more of a um, a way to get to, you know, what is what does that exactly mean? And from my perspective, it's it's pretty straightforward. I I see it as if the data center isn't really, and you know, this is sort of what you said basically, but if the data center isn't really your business, and when I say it's your business, that means that you don't once every five years identify four or five people on your team who have otherwise been doing their day-to-day work and say, go figure out how to build us another data center. You instead have a team that is consistently looking at where do we get power from? How do we build these most efficiently? Who do we partner with? How do these fit into the long-term growth of our company? How do they fit into our desire to acquire other businesses or potentially divest businesses, et cetera? And if you're not looking at it that way, if you're not looking at it the way the professionals have to look at building and owning and operating data centers, it it seems like that should be telling enough that it's not the business that you should be in, right? No, that's that's absolutely true. Um, I I looked at it, and and, and perhaps this was a, a little naive or maybe a little too early, I remember in the early discussions at Equinix saying to saying to the you know the folks who are building out these products, what are the common tasks that every one of our customers do? And and if we can find things that everybody is doing and then offer those as services, whether they be automated or manual, it seems to me that it's a logical direction to go as a data center company to provide those kinds of common uh, services across. And, uh, and, you know, I think that in, in 1998, that might've been power and, you know, air conditioning and, and, you know, reliability or security. I think today though, with automated provisioning, SDN, other kinds of really beautiful ways to automate the rolling out of services. Yep. It seems like there's way more opportunity to go. I wouldn't, I'd hesitate to use vertical, <laughs> yeah. um, but basically to, to reduce the headache and the truck rolls for customers. Yeah. There's yeah. lots of places no. to go there. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I mean, to, again, to expand a little bit on what you're saying, it's, it's, it's things like Megaport or um, direct connects to cloud providers or 
being able to share within a community of other companies that you're a part of, um, say from the financial industry or something like that. These are things that you can't easily do in your own private data center, even if you own hundreds of thousands of square feet. They're, they're, it's just not something that's economically viable um, as a private data center owner. So that's uh, right. I, yeah, I think you just have to figure out the right ways to to leverage those things. And again, you know, if you've got 200 megawatts worth of um, of company proprietary stuff, and you've decided to be, make it your profession to deliver that, then maybe it's the right answer. But for the average person, average person being the average company, yeah, I agree. Um, owning a data center, and I wrote about this five or six years ago. Um, owning a data center is like trying to write a 15-year business degree um, business plan, and who can do that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and by the way, it's, it's sometimes more fun to focus on your core competency than having to deal with those things. Yep. So, yep. you know, it's also a quality of life issue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, I guess this is sort of related, but I want to um, ask you a, a, a question um, against what we talked about a little bit uh, as we were preparing for um, doing this podcast. And it's specifically about um, IDCA. We talked a little bit about, you know, what the framework is trying to accomplish and um, for, you know, for the audience uh, uh, and for a reminder for you even, um, you know, the idea is to look at the at technology that uh, customers own um, as an application ecosystem rather than looking at it as infrastructure or data centers and being specific about how to build or manage for them. Rather, it's, you know, how do you own the entire stack um, from site selection to application output for your customers to where data is, is and to how you do processes. Do you, do you see that kind of framework as being something that's, you know, more important in today's uh, uh, world of rapid changes and, um, you know, the, the potential need to be able to uh, really quickly evaluate whether or not you're building what your company actually needs versus what you thought they needed five years ago? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Do you th see that as more important today than it was 20 years ago? Well, I do. Uh, actually, maybe a better way of putting it is it was important 20 years ago, but we couldn't get it. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> okay. true. That's you know, true. I yep. remember um, back at, at the Network Systems Lab, again, you know, dating myself back to digital when um, my bosses wanted me to go through the ISO certifications for offering data centers, uh, data center services. And it just like was a square peg round hole problem trying yeah. to get, you know, those kinds of things done. And part of the reason why that stuff existed was because you wanted to be able to rapidly certify that, you know, that when you're talking to your shareholders or your constituents or your customers, that you are delivering a product that meets a certain, uh, standard and that, and that frankly, uh, there's, there's knowledge transfer. So that if, if at a later point there needs to be other people involved in this product or this infrastructure, there are certain expectations that you would have based on the fact that it was based on some kind of industry standard or I don't know how else to put it. Um, right. And so, yeah, I, I do think it's important. It's, it's more important as people outsource these, these capabilities to others in the supply chain. Um, you know, it has to be consumable by someone who's not, you know, a data center engineer. Right. So you, right. you have to you have to create versions sort of explaining each component 
for different audiences, which is hard work. Uh, it is. Yep. It's, you know, we, we, we tried and failed inside of Equinix years ago to try and do things like that, you know, cause we kept getting handed these requirements. And so we would, we would put our arms around some other industry standard so that we could try and use that to communicate, you know, a classic example would be like in security SAS 70 requirements. Right. Right. You know, yeah. you know, you'd re- yep, I yep. remember like the financial industry after nine 11 and when people were moving their infrastructure into our Northeastern data center facilities, they, they wanted us to be compliant to something. They didn't care yep. what. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. just wanted to understand it. So when they talked to their bosses, they could say, Hey, this met this, you know, SAS 70 requirement or what have you. Um, but I think it's similar. I think that it's just a little bit more since we're even more abstracted yep. from the service delivery. I think that it, it needs to be pretty broad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, it's a lot of work. It's very valuable if you can do it. Well, and it, you know, it's, it's funny um, from my own experience, uh, uh, when uh, Mehdi, uh, the, the president and, and uh, founder for IDCA, um, uh, contacted me and asked me about uh, working with the technical committee, he, one of the questions he asked me was, uh, you know, what do you see as one of the problems in the industry? And um, at the time, I was thinking, well, it's the International Data Center Authority that called me. And so I'm thinking data center. And so I thought about the data center and I said, well, I could think of a hundred really quickly, you know, like we don't need raised floors anymore and, and we should have containment and we shouldn't push air up from underneath anymore. We should drop air from above and we should use outside air, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, all those things. But I said, if I had to pick really one thing, I'd say it's a better ability for the people that own and operate a data center to actually own the entire system, to be able to to represent it effectively, to be able to, when they need to, to build more or buy more or, or use more cloud, to be able to use a common set of practices for figuring out the right way to do that and where to go and, and how to capture the appropriate information about their company versus uh, you know what it is they're trying to build. And he said, well, effectively that's what we're trying to do, only we're trying to do it for the whole stack. And, right. um, and I said, sold, right. I, I, I will still admit to anyone that's listening that I think it's a lofty goal, but, um, if we can get even 75% of the way done, I think it'll be well worth it because as you said, as you pointed out, I don't think, um, outsourcing makes it easier, um, to own what you own. I think it's just the opposite when you don't have it under your care, when you can't talk to the Mark Teeley or the Jay. Adelson in the hallway every day about how things are going, um, you're actually putting yourself at more risk and anything you were doing wrong before gets exacerbated. So I think it's even right. more important. Well, and if you're, if you're a you know, CIO or a CTO and, and you're looking into um, moving your applications uh, online or even to private or hybrid cloud or, or whatever, and you're going through that process and maybe maybe this is your first time you've gone through that process, but maybe you're a veteran. You know, part of the problem is that when you're abstracting, it's hard to know what you're buying. You know, if I, if, when I was a customer of data center services, uh, when I was operating dig, it was funny. So here I was now finally a consumer of these services and, and somebody told me that I was being served out of Amazon East or, or some other, you know, cloud location. 
I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. I didn't know what yeah. it looked like. I didn't know what the what the you know the standard unit looked like from the entire delivery for the application all the way to the physical part. It was completely abstracted from me, and so it was very hard for me to feel confident about it. Um, the the flip side is I didn't really have any choices anyway. <laughs> there was only a couple data center solutions and architectures right now particularly post-containerization, there's just an absurd number of ways that you can combine all of these technologies together in the stack. Right. And, and you have to have some, yeah, some kind of set of, of best practices that you can, you can point to. Uh, it, is, it is lofty, but valuable. Thank you. Yeah, I, I um, couldn't agree more. So uh, one more question uh, that hints at IDCA as well, but uh, really touches on a broader subject that seems like um, almost everybody that I talk to um, in the industry, especially the data center industry, is worried about is, that, is the ability to get um, new talent and especially to get new talent that includes the appropriate and, and from my perspective, actually beneficial um, diversity. You know, what do you think about programs like IDCA from a training and industry involvement standpoint and, and their value in the industry today to try to get um, more talent uh, uh, available and the right kind of talent, frankly, available to um, everyone that's trying to uh, build out their IT environments or build out their data center environments. Well, I love the idea of being able to know, like when you say data center talent, there's so many different roles along the stack. Yep. Uh, and, it, and I would really like to understand when I look at a resume, what, what they know. You know, I, I guess the analogy would be, you know, the Cisco certifications of the 90s. Right. And how right. we wanted to understand what a network engineer could do. Cisco provided this, this sort of nomenclature for different types of certification. And there never really was that for other, other elements of the delivery. Right. Right. You know, whether it was physical operations or whether it was, you know, the application layer, security. And I mean, there are, but but there was nothing so standard that I would see it on a resume. And I feel yeah. like so that would be helpful. Uh, certainly some kind of some kind of training and then certification associated with it. I just don't know where I would start. Yeah. Like, well, and start? The on the physical side or would you start on the application layer or well, how I, would you go there? Yeah, I think, I think as you described, I think all of it's required. Um, you know, and uh, while I personally, unfortunately have not gone through all of IDCA's training, um, uh, I think the simple, uh, from, a, from a simple, you know, kind of external perspective relative to data center training, um, having a, an understanding of what the system of the data center is, along with a deeper skill in uh, an area of opportunity, you know, whether it's um, how air conditioning works or how cooling works or how to, um, how to manage uh, successful and safe and secure operations on the data center floor. You know, it's, it's uh, to me, there, there are a lot of kind of, they're obvious when somebody's already written them down, but they're not obvious for those people who haven't thought about them a thousand times. Things like being having you know a five-minute training lesson for anyone who's going to come and work on your data center floor for the first time, even if they're a contractor, right? Having them understand what they can and can't touch, what they can plug and unplug, 
um, who they have to talk to before they can ask for or make a change, things like that. Those are just, you know, little things, but, um, you know, from an operations standpoint, we can build the, the biggest, baddest, you know, tier four data center on the planet if we want to, but if we don't have good operational understanding of how to operate it on a daily basis, then it's a waste of, uh, of good iron and cement. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, there, there also just needs, we need to bring back the notion of apprenticeship into this industry. Um, I feel like, you know, we're, when we're talking about talent and limitations and, and lack of access, you can create all the training in the world you want, but what would be incredibly practical is to be able to provide job solutions that ultimately result in a certification uh, that, you know, are more in the apprenticeship or mentorship model, uh, as opposed to, say, go sitting in a classroom off-site someplace and taking notes and taking a test, you know, yeah, or yeah. some combination of the two. I, I've, I've always, I remember you know, in the 90s and the 2000s and, and even more recently, how much more effective my talent pool was that started in other jobs and then apprenticed into their new, their new role right. up and down right. the stack. And, and so, you know, hopefully I'll just put a plug out there. Um, yeah. Bring that back. No, I, I think it's a great approach. And in fact, I know that um, uh, for the IDCA guys, uh, a lot of times they actually do training on site with folks in their own environment. And I, I, you know, I don't think it can get much better than that. But I also, if I could pull a nugget out of what you just said, uh, assuming I wasn't reading too much into it, I totally agree that um, the opportunity to expand um, someone's ability to contribute is not just to get them to become the best air conditioning specialist in the world, but rather it's for them to understand how not only their air conditioning works, but how it fits into the larger environment, right? And, and so that the training you talked about, whether it's knowing a little bit of code or, or having worked on, on uh, helping some teams uh, build server environments on the data center floor or some combination of the above I, are things I think can really help uh, drive a, a larger team to be more successful, even if only being more successful in how they communicate with each other. Right. Oh, totally. I mean, the best, the best talent were are the people who can answer the question, why? Yeah. You know, when, when you yeah. blindly, you know, architected some element of your facility based on some ancient standard, that's what you tended to, you know, do when you were, you know, we, we used to joke that when we first, when we first uh, had IBM uh, as a customer at Equinix, they sent the people who invented electricity to uh, evaluate our first product <laughs> and um, and they would, you know, they were just so used to data center, the same sort of data center model that right. existed for 20 or 30 years. Yep. And so, you know, to continue to innovate, you, you absolutely have to be able to answer the question, why, why do we believe that, um, you know, back to your air conditioning example, why yep. do we care yep. how cold yep. it is? And, and let's constantly readdress that question and ask that question again so that as the technologies change and the talent pool changes too, yep. we're, we're doing the right things. Yeah, yeah, no, excellent, excellent points. And I, I couldn't agree more. So I've um, kept you for quite a while already. Uh, so as we, um, and I appreciate the time, thank you very much. Uh, as we wrap up, 
uh, one more shot at, um, at Jay, you know, five years from now, are you still going to be um, fixing pinball machines on the weekend and, and starting or, or managing new companies or are you going to be playing golf? <laughs> I can guarantee I won't be playing golf. Uh, it, it, I, right. I think I played that game twice, but I, I, I have, um, yeah, I mean, my, my goal honestly, over the next three, four, five years is to find excellent teams that, that need me on a, at a strategic level. Like I, I love serving on boards and I, and I'm always looking for really good, good organizations that, um, that really could benefit from my experience. Uh, and, yeah, and, yeah. and that gets me, that keeps me frosty, you know, it keeps me in the business enough to sort of see what's going on. Um, but yeah, and then also yeah. doing a pinball machine or two on the side. Yeah, yeah. Sounds well. One of these days, I'm going to have to find a way to to uh, share a drink and play on one of your pinball machines. Uh, absolutely. I am yeah. not a pinball wizard, but uh, I do enjoy the game. Yeah, you don't have to be good at it to really enjoy it. That's yeah. that's what's yeah. really great about it. Uh, especially when you don't have to keep dropping quarters in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, um, with that. Um, to the audience, uh, please join us next time um, where we're going to have uh, Derek Collison of uh, uh, initially Cloud Foundry and uh, most recently AppSera. And now he has his own startup that I'll let him talk more about uh, on the cast. And lastly, if you'd like to nominate a guest for our podcast, email us at podcast at idc-a.org. Thank you very much to Jay. And thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thank you have so much one. for having me. Thanks, Jay. Take care.